In this episode of Full Stack Radio, I talked to Jeffrey Way of Laracasts about tips and tricks for using Vue.js elegantly with traditional server-side web apps. This is Full Stack Radio, episode 70. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Full Stack Radio podcast, episode 70. Uh, this week I'm back with Jeffrey Way, who's been on the podcast a handful of times. How's it going, Jeffrey? Hey man, thanks for having me on. So today, uh, what I was hoping to talk about uh, was basically just some sort of overall tips, tricks, strategies uh, for working with Vue.js when you're working on a mostly traditional server-side rendered application. So everyone's building SPAs and API first and doing all this cool stuff all the time. Uh, but I know there's still a lot of folks out there uh, like myself, and I believe like you with Laracasts, who are still building kind of traditional server rendered applications, you know, sending Laravel blade views over the wire, and then you know, sprinkling in some components and stuff with Vue on the front end for sort of interactive uh, stuff. So I guess to get right into it, do you mind talking a little bit about sort of the high level, what does Laracast look like in terms of how uh, Vue is sort of integrated? Like what build tool are you using? Do you have like right. a top level app div that everything lives in? Are you using all components or some inline templates? Just kind of general overview. What is your kind okay. of... Plan of attack. Uh, I, I built. I originally built Laracast like four years ago. So, if you want to know what it looks like, it looks like a Laravel app where Vue got added later. Uh, and I think that's how how most apps end up looking, <laughs> honestly. So, it, it's kind of fun looking through an older app because you just get to see all of the different uh, shit you've tried out. <laughs> so it's like, oh, here I used inline template quite a bit during this phase. Like in 2016 was inline templates, but now I almost never use it at all. And it's like, I try to go back and fix it and I do the best I can, but you know, sometimes you just have to, you just have to deal with, with what you have and get the job done. But anyways, yeah, at this point, um, for, for the view side, well, okay. So for Laracast, it's a traditional Laravel app, uses blade views, all of that stuff, uh, traditional routing. I'm not using any SPA. I'm not using client side routing. Uh, none of that. I'm not against it. I'm just not using it at all. Uh, on the view side of things. There is a top-level um, app component that I use, but then I actually have a bunch of things. So, like, I will use uh, things like view-specific components. So, like, um, if you ever have a component where it's not necessarily reusable, uh, and it's just kind of like you want to add a little bit of behavior to the page, sometimes I will create like a like an about dash view component, and it's really just a wrapper. Uh, around the section, uh, like a, around a blade partial, where I just where I just stack in some extra behavior. Very very simple stuff. I feel like that's good one hundred and one stuff. Like if if you have a Laravel app and you want to add some view integration, that's kind of a good first step. If you want um, another good first step is like if you have a traditional form and you want to Ajaxify it, you can extract all of that into like a, a view component called XForm. Uh, and then there you can hook into like the the form submit event, and then you do your Ajax stuff. You can update the button text. That's kind of like low hanging fruit. I sure. Think. So when you talk about like adding in um, the sort of one off ones, like you were saying, like the about view example, yeah, is yeah. that a component that's registered with your master view instance, or are you sometimes just creating like a new instance of view in like a script tag at the bottom of an individual page if you just need something for just that page? I've done both, honestly. I mean, I think a lot of people would frown upon the second option, but sometimes like I always come back to like, it's fine. You know, like sometimes if you have this kind of isolated part of your app and it's like, yeah, just at the bottom, new up a view instance and you're done. You know, it's so easy. Uh, but I would say I still don't do that too often. So most of the time I am registering it normally. So like often I'll have my main app component and then I'll have all of my other components that I register, which are traditional, sometimes reusable components, sometimes form specific components. And then below that I will have uh, page specific components. And I feel like you want to be, I don't know what you think about this. I feel like you need to be a little careful. Like I don't want to just give every single page its own view component because that mm -hmm. feels uh, a little weird to me. 
But then other times it's like, oh, I just need to add a little extra behavior here. And you have all of these unrelated things that need to need to be affected when, when something takes place. So I feel like that's that's kind of an easy way to deal with it. But um, I don't, how, how are you dealing with all this? Um, I don't have any really long running applications like you do. Yeah. Cause I've always kind of worked in the agency world and jumping from project to project. So lots of fresh starts, but, um, on the project that I'm working on right now, I'm doing everything, uh, very similar. Like I have, you know, that top level div with like the app ID so that you can kind of hang your root instance off of there. And then, um, I have a handful of components sort of just sprinkled in, uh, where I need them. And, so most of the time I'll have pages that have, you know, multiple components on them sometimes for unrelated things. Maybe there's a button in the header that does something or, uh, you know, a form in the middle of the page that's totally unrelated um, mm-hmm. that does some other stuff. But trying to stick with uh, just the components and that's that's worked out pretty well. But in the past, I did do a lot of uh, inline template stuff. And sometimes sometimes I miss that a little bit because there's this nice advantage you have with inline templates, especially for something that's totally one-off that never gets reused on the site. So there's no real benefit in extracting it right. uh, where you don't get that like loading jank that you get typically with view, right? Like with an SPA, you never notice it because the whole app loads at once and everything's all there. But I right. have situations sometimes where maybe I have a little button in a header that's a view component and that button actually affects the size of the header because maybe it's the biggest thing in the header so when the page first loads it's like two pixels shorter and then all of a sudden it jumps it jumps (laughs) oh man it's so annoying it's so funny because like that ends up being the stuff you spend most of your time on like the more complex stuff it's like sometimes i can just kind of nail that and then some weird thing where you'll have like a a two pixel flicker and you're like i don't know how to fix this and you'll spend freaking hours on it trying to figure out what's causing it and then I don't know. I it still it still gets me all the time. Yeah, like, that that's yeah. honestly like my biggest um my biggest pain point dealing with like view stuff still with like a server rendered app is kind of dealing with that flicker before uh, view loads. And lately, I've been trying this um this approach that doesn't work all the time, but sometimes it can help. Where um you know like when you go to like Facebook.com and you see like a bunch of posts that aren't loaded yet but they have sort of like placeholder just rectangular bars for text and stuff so i've been trying to do this thing for certain situations where maybe i create like a blade component and inside that blade component it has like two halves one is like what should be shown when view is still loading so using like v cloak helpers and stuff Mm -hmm. and it's it's basically just like a static non-interactive version of whatever the view component is um, that at least takes up the same space you know what i mean so that the page mm-hmm. doesn't jank and then underneath that i have like what should be shown when v cloak is removed and the actual view component is there and that works in some situations um but not all but it has been sort of interesting trying this idea of um you know wrapping view components in blade components so i have sort of a one place to go to control like the preview version of what the page looks like i mean i hate that we even have to think about that because it does make it a lot more complicated um i'm I'm wondering with facebook is that what they're solving there or do you think that's just like a a visual thing to make it a little cleaner i think they are loading all that stuff completely asynchronously so it's not just like the initial page jank that they're trying to solve there i think they want like that first render to happen and then they load in your comments so that's sort of waiting for ajax calls and stuff to come in um, mm. but yeah, it's, it's tricky too with like the, the flicker because like, it's so fast that you can't even put like a loading state in there or something usually because like maybe your loading spinner will rotate three degrees and that'll be about it. I know that's the hardest <laughs> thing. It's like, you're trying to test something locally, but of course, locally it's going to be like instant. So you don't get the chance to do it. Uh, there are some things you can do like with Chrome dev tools, you can, you can simulate throttling. Mm-hmm. So it's like simulate that my, my speed is this, and then you get it a little bit more. But then sometimes I like fake it and then I just force like a pause for two seconds just so I can see the animation. Yeah, totally. I, And I saw that you do something where you do something like um, must wait 300 milliseconds. Tell me about that. Yeah, I yeah. Really so for certain Ajax doing. calls, um, if, if I want to show a loading state and I'm worried that it might be too fast, then I have this little... Um, this little kind of monkey patch that I added to the promise class uh, that it basically 
it creates another promise in addition to the Axios one. So the Axios promise is going to take however long it's going to take. I create another promise that is using set timeout is just designed to automatically resolve after some period of time. So maybe I set it to 100 milliseconds or 300 milliseconds or something. Mm -hmm. And then I wrap both that promise and the Axios promise in like a promise.all call. Um, so when both of those promises have resolved, then I do whatever the next thing is, which is maybe change the state of the button back to a, a non-loading state or something. So if the Axios request takes 70 milliseconds and the uh, set timeout takes 300 milliseconds, well, it's still only going to take a total of 300 milliseconds. It's not going to like add them together or anything. Okay. Uh, and you would add that to make sure like some animation completes? Is that the idea? Not necessarily to make sure it completes, but just to make sure that there's enough time to show it where it doesn't look like a, a glitch. You know what okay, I mean? Okay, okay. Because sometimes you have saying. that situation where it's like you flick to a loading state for not long enough for the end user to even recognize that it's a loading state and it, they just kind of get like, oh, what just happened yeah, on the screen? Yeah, they think something went wrong. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So that's been kind that's of good. handy. It feels a little bit weird to like intentionally make the app slower. You know what I mean? Um but I think it's still like below that threshold where it's not like someone's going to be waiting for it at all. It's just like right. just long enough that like it doesn't feel like something weird's happening. Um, yeah, so that's yeah. been, been kind of helpful. But it's not helpful in the case where you're just waiting for view to kind of mount to the page when it first loads because mm -hmm. there's no JavaScript running yet anyways. So that's still been kind of tricky to solve. Sometimes it makes me want to move to a, <laughs> like a more SPA-ish setup just to avoid that like have you ever been tempted to have like a v cloak that sits on the whole body that just makes the <laughs> yes. whole page white until the whole thing is done yes man <laughs> like i feel like that's just wrong you're not allowed to do it it's like, man it would make everything easier honestly sometimes i do it like n not not on the full app but like on on lower sections where it's like ah, oh, this just i can't get this to work i'm just gonna v cloak the top and be done with it you know yeah. like Sometimes I just deal with it, yeah. Um, but it's definitely not ideal. Yeah, I do miss inline template. I mean, I think we can still use it, right? It's not. Yeah, it got removed and it got added back. But I, I do feel like it's, Evan doesn't like it, and that I know one day, if when the pressure kind of goes away to keep it around, he might sneak it out of there. So yeah, I know. But so, but what's hard though is like, okay, before you could use inline template. And you kind of had this cool thing where you could mix blade and view a little bit. Mm -hmm. But now, like if you're extracting all of that to a dedicated uh, dot view component, you then have that thing where it's like, well, all of your blade stuff doesn't transfer over. So it's like if in your blade you were using like the, um, the at symbol can directive, well, now you have to figure out how to do authoriz authorization on the view side. Um, you have to figure out like, are you repeating your routes on the client side and the server side? Yeah. So like, I always end up into this thing where I feel like I'm repeating the same logic in two different places, and that feels really gross to me. Yeah. Is that something you run into a lot? Yeah, definitely. The routes thing, I think, is like a really common complaint. Everyone wants to just use like the, the route helper um, that they're used to on the back end, which makes things nice and clean and stuff like that. Uh, but in JavaScript land, obviously, you can't use that. I, I saw Titan just put out a package that makes that a little bit easier, but I haven't had a chance to use it yet. But Yeah, I haven't used it either. I was talking to him about it uh, at Laracon. I think it's called Ziggy. Yeah, I don't I really get the I... name, but seems like a cool package. Yeah, so I guess the idea is that like, it takes a, a JSON representation of your Laravel routes, and then it loads them into the client side, and then it makes a, a route helper function available to your JavaScript. So yeah, it basically reproduces like the exact same thing. Which yeah, seems, I mean, seems cool, ahead. but I mean, in the meantime, we've had to deal without it so i'd be curious to know like uh what your approach has been have you just like kind of sucked it up and duplicated the the endpoints yep. kind of hard-coded <laughs> well okay so if we're talking about routing it's i think sometimes it, it depends of course on the size of your app but if we're assuming kind of like a general modest medium-sized app i don't think it's the end of the world if you repeat the route it's like okay Worst case, like you're probably not going to change the route too often. And when you do, it's okay. You do a search and replace. So it's not ideal, but, and for things like that, it's more like, it just makes me feel gross. Like I'm doing it wrong. Hmm. Uh, because you do end up with like, well, what if, what if this changes? And then of course the answer is like, well, then, then you'll fix it. Then you'll spend sure. 10 minutes and you'll, you'll fix the, the URLs. But uh, I do agree, it feels a little weird sometimes. It just feels kind of weird to do it differently on the back end versus the front end, I think. Right, like, It exactly. almost tempts me to hard code it on the back end, too, because like it feels like I've already thrown in the towel, you know what I mean? So it's like, might yeah. as well just go whole hog on it. But then Honestly, you lose like, the nice binding stuff. In, 
So you, you, all right. So on the Laravel side for your your routing, do you always use the the route helper? Will you ever hard code a URL? I have some hard coded once in a while. I, I don't have a good heuristic for when or why. I do mostly use named routes. For a long time, I was using like the action helper, like the controller action one. That yeah. ended up getting too verbose once we brought in, basically when we switched to Laravel 5 and everything was namespaced, that mm -hmm. all of a sudden felt like really a lot to type where you had to type the whole name, do colon, colon, class, import the controller. Um, oh, yeah. You know, it just started to feel like it was bloating things up. So the named routes is what I tend to use. Uh, for most things there are situations though like things like login i think i usually list hard code instead of referring to a named route that's like one mm -hmm. example i can think of where i've done that but i do try to stick with the named routes because um, that route helper when i learned recently um that you don't have to pass like an associative array as the second parameter with like you ID just pass the model you yeah. just pass them all and that's it then it was like oh okay well this is really handy now it saves me a lot of time yeah it's pretty so. sharp yeah. So that's so, yeah. What's your naming convention for that stuff? Like let's say um to use the the common example like you're storing a post. So like <laughs> routes you're responding to a post request to store a new uh post. What would you name that? I usually What's name it um posts.store. So I try to use like plural model names for controllers. Okay. And uh I try to make the controller match the route name most of the time. And same with uh template names just like try to standardize as much as possible so it's easy to find everything what about you okay i've done a bunch honestly like for for a period there i was like oh i need to think of like better names for it but then that's really stupid because you keep having to refer back to see what you named it which is which is stupid like you're thinking too much yeah so i always prefer to just like find a convention and stick with it so you never end up in that trap where you're like well what's the name of this route i need to go back and see the elegant name i thought of it it's <laughs> like you're, you're defeating the entire purpose so um, for a while there, I was doing things like um, I would do store. I would use more of an underscore approach. Or then I, I had this thing where I was doing path. So like store post path, but I hate that now. <laughs> so um, yeah, I think a dot notation makes sense. Just anything where you don't have to think about it again. Yeah, just remove that. that decision completely, right? Like that's yeah. kind of, I always love when I can like at least make a decision once and never have to make it again. Just like one less thing to waste space in your brain when you're trying to focus on you know more right. important problems right yeah okay so what about what about authorization like back to the view side so let's say um you have like a, a thread or something like that and in your blade like maybe you extracted a blade section to view so in the blade you had something where it's like if the user can update this thread blah 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 right you have the can directive but now you move it over to a view component and you don't have that blade directive anymore. Yeah. So you have to reproduce that authorization to see, does the user have permission to, to update this thread or to uh -huh. hit a button that updates it? How are you currently doing that stuff? So I actually don't have that situation in any projects that I'm working. Like if you just have a simple button or something and the button is in blade, right? Like it's a view component used directly in blade. Then of course you can just wrap it around that one thing. But as soon as you have a parent component, and mm -hmm. that now that contains the button and you need to be able to specify the authorization then definitely would be tricky right yeah. i don't know if i have like what what my instinct would be to try first i guess um a couple ways i can think to do it right you could have props for sort of the different permission names that you sort of care about so you could have like a can update and pass in true or false right. but depending on how nested that component can get it can start to feel like, oh, why am I passing in this prop 10 levels up that for this one button uh, yeah. 10 levels deep? So then you might, I guess, want to basically, in, to, to whatever degree makes sense, reproduce the ability to, to ask that question on the client side, right? So whether you pass through um, a list of permissions associated with the user that's maybe just a bunch of strings, like can update, post, and even then it's even more complicated because if it depends on the post ID... Um, then it's not just like a true or false for everything. So that know, sounds it like ends a up getting complicated. Like, once again, it's like this is basic stuff though, and it ends up getting complicated once you do this stuff. Because mm -hmm. once again, you're you're like, well, I guess I have to reproduce this, or I'm just passing a bunch of props down, and then that can feel kind of gross. Like one of the things I have now is I have um, on the view prototype, I have an authorized method. So that means like on any view component, I can say this dot authorize and then yeah. I pass a callback function to it. 
And the way it works is the, the authorized function will call your callback function and then pass through the signed in user. So I might have something that says like this.authorize, then I give it a callback, and then I'll just say like does the user.id equals blah, blah, blah. But yeah, it's still not ideal because like I'm kind of just reproducing exactly what I have in a policy. Yeah, and you're duplicating the logic too, right? So now on the client, you're comparing IDs, and on the server, you're comparing IDs. And if, you know, for whatever reason, you're not, it's not just a simple ID check anymore. You got to remember updated in both places. And exactly. So it so it ends up getting pretty complicated. Um, like the, the when you call the authorized function on the view prototype like it does give you a place to add extra things so like if you just want to give the administrator rights to do everything then you could you have like a single point of entry to do that mm -hmm. but yeah once again it's like still not ideal i think the the most reusable way probably is to do the custom props so like you would have on your component a prop called can update yeah. and then like within it you would just use some some blade calculation to figure out a boolean but it just feels gross too. I mean, this is stuff I'm still working out myself. Yeah, it's tricky. Um, I guess another thing you could do is query the server, right? Again, but that just yeah. feels like uh, another HTTP call, like just for, just to avoid some duplication. Like, what what do I care about more? This extra 250 millisecond HTTP call, or, um, you know, duplicating the two pieces of logic. It's a tricky one for sure. Yeah, it's and then you have like. Situations where like suddenly the, the number of HTTP requests you're making from your view components can get out of hand because it's kind of hard to measure that and you don't realize like, oh, you're suddenly doing 20 or 30 different <laughs> AJAX calls that you yeah. didn't even realize. And that gets tricky as well. And then sometimes I'm thinking like, well, is this necessarily 100% better than, than what we had before? And I think the answer is yes. But um, that's where I can really see like the benefit to, to something like TurboLinks where it's sort of the best of both worlds. Mm. Um, I'd like to really experiment with that more on an actual application, but um, I, like ha I haven't using TurboLinks like the hardcore Basecamp way, where yeah. almost everything is like returning little partials of HTML back from the the server, um, yeah. and just kind of injecting it where you need to. I mean, there's there's some beauty in the simplicity of. I mean, it sounds like it's probably complex in terms of how it all works and how it's implemented and stuff. But in mm -hmm. terms of like having one central source of everything all the time, which is like everything always comes from the server. Nothing's ever getting recreated on the client or anything. Right. It does sound like there's some appeal to that simplicity. Yeah, it's pretty appealing. And DHH, I've even heard him do stuff where it's like from the server, he's returning javascript almost like you're returning like turbolinks.call it's like a javascript command that's being returned from their yeah. ruby code so that can get kind of funky but i i do appreciate where he just he doesn't care you know if, <laughs> if it makes it easier then then who yep. cares something i've done with the routing before too which it doesn't work for everything but it is convenient in some cases is to stick like a links array on my eloquent model so that when my eloquent model is passed to view as JSON, if I want to get like the URL to update that post, for example, I just say like this.post.links.update and that gives me like the full URL, which was built on the server. So I don't have to worry about binding in the ID or anything like that. But there's certain situations where that doesn't work. Like um, say I want to get the index view for my posts, you know, stupid boring example that everyone uses all the time but yeah. um i can't stick that on a post because it's the index for for all of them so if i don't even have anything to ask for the links it still has to be hard-coded right. somewhere but that can be useful like it, it kind of reminds me of um you know what they say rest is supposed to be where like every thing that comes back from the server has like uh, links to the next thing that you could do it's almost like this choose your own adventure sort of approach yeah. <laughs> and, and that can simplify things in some ways but it doesn't solve every single problem but it is something i've been doing more like just sticking links right into my models so that you can you have knowledge right there of what else you can do and what those endpoints are so you yeah, just that is them interesting. On the server well that brings up another good point though is like all right so the laravel way if you have a blade partial is you'll just call these methods that will that will usually end up performing SQL queries to get like the person's favorites count or, or whatever it happens to be. But once again, when you switch over to the view, once you switch over to view, you can't do that, right? Mm -hmm. So you need to have that data. So when you want to provide the JSON for the component, do you end up doing that thing where you have like a, a two array method on your model? 
And then there you return everything that your client side could possibly need. Is that what you're doing? That's typically what I'm doing. Yeah. I mean, there's, it can, sometimes it feels wasteful though, because you might be calculating things that aren't necessary for that particular view or whatever. I know, but it still seems like the easiest way to do it. So then on your two array method, you basically override that. And then it's like, if you need to figure out if the user, I don't know, if you have to figure out some kind of Boolean or some kind of stat or count. You can just do it there, even if you reference the yeah. relationship. And I basically, way, I never yeah. use like Laravel's um, like hidden or visible stuff, you know, to control like what columns are visible to the end user when you convert to JSON. I literally okay. just override that to array method every single time and just write from scratch whatever I want it to be. Because more often than not, I have something where I have a, a date time column that I actually want to send through to the client as a Boolean or you know, something else that's computed, you know, that's not just sending through mm -hmm. a, a column. So it's easier to just have like one to array method instead of having to array merge the parent to array call with some custom stuff and go and look at the hidden invisible things and always trying to figure out exactly what's there. It's nicer to just see one list of fields and just be done. Yeah, I, I think that's actually a smart practice to get into. Otherwise, sometimes you end up in situations where you realize you're exposing attributes or fields where you're like, holy shit, I didn't realize I was doing that. And that's definitely not something you want the client side to be seeing. So I yeah, think that's actually Yeah, this way you smart. only add things when you realize you need it. A lot of the time I might start with an eloquent model that only returns like one field because it's the only thing I need in the the view. You yeah. know what I mean? And that and then it just sort of like grows as I realize, oh, that piece of data is not there and I need it. Well now I can go and add it instead of having a bunch of defaults there that never get used. It's yeah, sort of more of like smart. a real pure whitelisting approach, I guess. Because I think otherwise, if you don't do two array, like let's say your JSON needs something else about the model that you have to calculate. So it's like, um, I can never think of anything on the fly. Some kind of Boolean, anyways. I think the only alternative is you have to use the the appends property on your model. Okay. So you could, Are you familiar with that? So that's no. where it's like, okay, you define an appends property on the model, and then you give it the name of... Um, what is it? You give it the name of a custom attribute or a custom accessor or something like that. And basically what you're telling Laravel is when you convert this to JSON, I want you to append this bit of yeah. data or this field to it as well. But then once again, you're in that situation where you're having to like scan your entire model, your entire model to figure out what you're passing to your JSON or, or to array. And then it's, it, once again, it just gets kind of tricky. It so feels I like think you got a good approach there. Yeah. It feels like trying to like configure things too much instead of just like writing the code that you need, you know? Right. Um, yeah, I think it's simpler to just do the two array thing. Just wanted to take a quick break to thank one of this week's sponsors, and that is Rollbar. So here's what Paul, the founder of CircleCI, had to say about one of their favorite features of Rollbar and how it helps them keep things running at CircleCI. Before we used Rollbar, we used a different error tracking service, and we were shopping for a new one. And so we did the, the tour and looked at, at Rollbar and all of its competitors, and it was it was really the feature set of Rollbar that was super impressive and that made us go there. In particular, the people tracking, I think, is, is really... Uh, it's not just a great feature, but it also kind of speaks our language because we're very focused on making sure that customers are happy. And we want to make sure that we have like an individual understanding of what happens to each customer. So the fact that we're able to click on you know, th this customer is experiencing a lot of bugs and to be able to follow the, the progression of bugs that they've been experiencing is very important. If we get an email from a customer and the customer says, you know, your your website keeps glitching on me and being able to to go to Rollbar and to say, okay, you know, this individual customer, this is how they're experiencing the site. Because otherwise you, you have to give like an overall state of things and overall things are looking good because if they weren't, we'd be dealing with it. So I've been using Rollbar a lot lately on my SaaS app, Nitpick CI, and loving it. Uh, if you want to check it out, you can head over to rollbar.com slash fullstackradio, and you can use their bootstrap plan for free for 90 days. So check that out, and uh, thanks again to Rollbar for sponsoring Fullstack Radio. It kind of brings me to another point, though. Like, What is your kind of general approach to getting data into your view components, like an eloquent model? Do you do pass through the ID and request it as an HTTP call, or do you JSON encode the whole thing and pass through like the whole JSON encoded model as a prop or, you know, shared state and some store that you see globally, or do you have a know, general man. approach or you mix it up or mix it up? Honestly, <laughs> once again, it's, it's just like my app is just a, an illustration of all the different things I've tried, unfortunately. 
Um, but, but yeah, this is, I've talked to so many people about this and it just shows like, once again, very basic stuff that nobody has fully figured out because everyone does it completely different. And I, I always notice everyone's asking each other to kind of figure out like, am I doing it right? Or <laughs> am I doing something really wrong? So like, yeah, let's go through the options. One, uh, I think this is what Taylor does for, um, one of his projects is you have like a, a PHP class that basically constructs the initial state, the initial data. Um, and then within like a view file, it will encode that in some way. And then it'll pass it to like window.app or, or whatever it happens to be. So that way you get like your initial, anything that you would need for the initial load of the site. Uh, yeah. Another way would be basically every component is responsible for fetching the data it needs. So like every single component is going to do an Ajax request. And I guess like if you're going to do it that way, you really have to structure your backend in a way to allow for that. Because I assume at that point, like your backend is more of an API. So if you're getting posts, then that component needs to be responsible for fetching all of the posts. And then another component has to fetch all of that. Uh, so that would be another way. A third way would be uh, a little more traditional. So your, your, uh, your Laravel view will fetch the data with Eloquent. You'll pass it to your view. And then you will JSON encode that and then pass it to the view component. Mm -hmm. And I realize like people outside of view, I think that's really foreign to them. Like if you use React, I think that seems really nutty. Like how are you even doing that? Uh, because with view, of course, it makes it really easy. You just define a custom property and then you, you bind it to whatever you encode uh, with Laravel. But I think anywhere outside of view, that can be kind of weird to them. I think it's I just because that general mix of server side and client side. It just doesn't exist. That, I mean, you, I think you would see the same thing if someone was building a Rails app. You know what I mean? That's when mm -hmm. I have a conversation with someone who like maybe isn't familiar with Laravel and we're kind of talking about JavaScript stuff. I always talk about Rails instead of Laravel because I think more people have just like, oh, okay, kind of a Railsy server side thing. I, I kind of get it. Uh, yeah. But yeah, I think you're right. Like when you when you say like, oh, I'm passing through this like big JSON object that's, you know, literally huge maybe because it has some eager loaded relations on it and all sorts of other stuff. Um, and you like go and you look at like the real view source for like your page, not like the inspector one, but like what was the raw HTML that was rendered right. and you see like 70 lines where you just passed <laughs> through this giant JSON thing. I know. Some people are like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I didn't think anyone would ever do something like that with view, but I think it's actually pretty common and also like really practical a lot of the time um oh it's also going to be the fastest way i think I, yeah because you don't have to make like a separate call and and most of the time not most of the time but a lot of the time um it, it's not even like an extra query on that route because you, maybe you've already loaded that resource for something else that needs to happen there like maybe you did like a post find or fail and you got the post and now you're returning a view that's showing it but you also need to pass that post to some component because it needs to be able to do something well right. you're not doing an extra database query to do that now like it's already there so it's not getting any slower and you get to avoid that http request i have run into gotchas with that um somewhat recently actually though where so when you use like your double curly brackets to pass through json coded blade to like a view prop it, it all mm -hmm. gets escaped right so all your quotes and stuff get turned into like html entities which view like deals with correctly which is nice because then you don't have to worry about um should i use single quotes on my prop or double quotes so right. what, what quotes exist in my model or whatever you got to be careful to avoid it but i have run into situations where with kind of like user submitted content you have to be careful that things don't break because someone can put those um, HTML encoded entities in that content and it breaks views ability to parse it because it can't tell yeah. which quote tags were the ones that you created when you were trying to encode it or which ones were already there from like the content. So I ran into this with my Laracon talk. I was building that little podcast demo site and some of the show notes for the podcasts that I pulled in had code snippets in them. And those were getting converted to HTML entities in like the the RSS show notes feed already. Um, and then I would mm. go to certain podcast pages and it would just be a white screen. And it took me forever to, to uh, do that damn white screen. God, that's the worst. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've had to deal with the exact same thing. I'm trying to think of what I did to deal with that. I think I have some kind of nutty helper function that <laughs> that does something i can't quite remember i solved it a long time ago but yeah, yeah that can get really really tricky 
Something I've wanted to try that has always sounded like a good idea to me, but I still haven't got around to doing it is, um, so when, when you fetch stuff from your Laravel app as a HTTP request in Vue, are you usually just using like raw Axios or have you created like abstractions around that for certain things? Yeah, I mean, I guess it's considered like best practice to create an abstraction, but honestly, Axios is pretty pretty simple to use and pretty clean that I, I don't honestly worry about it too much. I mean, just to say like axios.get or axios whatever, it's, just, it's really fast. It looks good to me. So I haven't bothered too much with an abstraction like that. What about you? Yeah, same here. Um, but I sometimes I wonder if there would be an interesting benefit to say you had like, you know, the equivalent of like a repository or something on the front end to get like posts. And instead of doing axios.get with the URL, I could do like posts.find and pass through the ID. The thing yeah. I think is interesting about that is inside that post class on the JavaScript side, I could make that HTTP request to get it. Or I could do something like what you were saying Taylor does, where say I have some global JavaScript object, um, I could have like a loaded key in there or something like a preload key where I can preload different things. And then this repository could sort of check for the presence of it there before it checks for the API, which is kind of interesting because then on some pages, maybe it makes more sense to do that HTTP request, but on other pages, maybe it's easier to just preload it. And now you kind of have both options and it's just a matter of, do you pass it through from the controller or not? And then everything on the client side will still just work. Right. Now I I haven't done, I haven't done the preload thing you're talking about, but I did try out this thing where it's like, okay, well maybe I can kind of reproduce. So if I have a post model on the server side, maybe I have a post class on the client side, they can kind of abstract that away. And I did try that out. And I, it feels good actually, but it, I just always end up in that thing where it's like, God, I just feel like I'm building the exact same app twice. Mm. Like that's, that's the same thing I keep falling into over and over again. Yeah. It's almost like you want to keep the JavaScript as dumb as possible and exactly. that just slowly pushes you more, closer and closer to that. Like, I wish I just used TurboLinks <laughs> sort of um, philosophy. Yeah, it's tricky too because as soon as you start doing that, then every time you load something from the server, you got to do this like mapping thing where now I convert that into a, you know, a right. post class instead of just a raw object, and it starts to feel like your your front end stuff is getting really complex. And I feel like even for mostly server rendered apps, a lot of the gnarliest code I end up writing is already in the JavaScript side of things. It is. Um, it is. And then it's like, if you go too far, like trying to structure, uh, obviously, of course, like this depends on what you're building, but for the types of apps I build, like if you go too far trying to structure your JavaScript, you end up like with the Vuex stuff, which like I know people swear by, like I have so much trouble appreciating the value for it. Mm-hmm. Like I, I would love to, I don't know if you've done this actually, but I would love to sit down with somebody who really just explains it step by step because so often I will see what somebody's working on and they'll have like a, a Vuex example and it just feels so incredibly verbose where my initial thought is like, God, no, like I want nothing to do with that. <laughs> Even if there are benefits, just the amount of work you have to go through to get to that point I feel like I feel like we're just recreating some of some of the worst stuff from, you know, some some of the PHP stuff we've been talking about over the last few years. Yeah, like because it, it just feels monstrous to me. But I, I, I like with that said, I know tons of people use it and get a huge benefit out of it, uh, and would never do anything else. So like, I'd like to learn more about it. I think it's hard to commit to when you're doing this sort of mostly server rendered sort of thing. It feels like you're. Uh, just putting too much into the front end which to me kind of makes me nervous because i don't want to be split between like two different code bases i'm like one person so i want to be working on one code base as much as possible you know what i mean i think if you're building an spa or something maybe it would start to feel um you know more more useful but in general it does feel like a lot of indirection for you know the only benefit that I've seen is like I can like rewind stuff in the dev tools to replay things. Like, I guess that's yeah. cool, but like maybe, maybe that is a really common workflow and it really helps people troubleshoot things a lot of the time, but it just seems like a, a lot of work for something that doesn't seem like a really obviously awesome, helpful benefit, you know? Yeah. Like I don't feel like if I implemented it, I would come out the other side thinking, Oh my God, this is so much better than I had before. Like, if anything, I, I'd feel, 
I'd feel worse about it. But yeah, I don't want to be too opinionated because I just don't have enough experience. It's just something I deal with at Laracast where people keep asking for me to cover Vuex. And it's like, I don't want to do that when I'm not the biggest fan right now. Yeah, and like I you just haven't com- been able to get excited about it, right? Like, Yeah, it's like I don't ever want to talk about something that I'm not really excited about. Mm-hmm. I feel like once I go down that path, it's over because it's like... For better or worse, Laracast represents like what I think about things and what I'm excited by. And then if you're just suddenly covering everything under the sun, it's like you lose that completely. For sure. So it's like until I'm excited by Vuex, I just I can't do it right now. Yeah. So um, a related question in that, I guess, is strategies for kind of communicating between components or having kind of shared yeah. state between components. Okay. Um, I'm guessing you probably have a... a a mix and match of all sorts of different things going on that you've tried out over the years. But Correct. do you have a general uh, opinion on it these days? Like if you're going to start something new and you needed to communicate between sibling components, what would be what you'd want to try first? I think um, in view to the, the custom events implementation is pretty, pretty elegant. So I'm trying to think I had a good example the other day. Um, okay. So uh, oh, actually, we remember uh, a few days ago we were talking about doing Ajax image uploads. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I set up a uh, a file input, but as we were talking about, like once you select the file, you have to do all of this nutty stuff to prepare it uh, to prepare the JSON. And so one thing I decided was, okay, I'm going to take that file input and extract it to its own view component, and then I can take that kind of gross file reader stuff and I'll just throw that into the other component. So that ended up being uh, much cleaner. But then I, I had something where it's like, well, the file input component now needs to alert the outside world when when an image is loaded or when it's ready to proceed because there's like asynchronous stuff happening there. So that's a situation where it's like the component can emit an event and just say like, hey, I've, I've done, I'm ready to go, whatever it happens to be. And then any parent component or sibling component can just add a listener on, on that Component. It's hard to speak about this stuff, honestly, <laughs> yeah. without seeing actual code examples. But yeah, that ends up being really clean. Where right on the component, I can say at symbol ready or whatever yeah, the event totally. happens to be. And then I can respond there. So I've been doing that quite a bit. Um, and I'm trying to think like I think with view one, it was. Yeah, with with view one, it was pretty funky because you didn't have a way to do that. I don't think. You know so what? You up- I think you did, but it was oh, yeah? under documented or there was just like this assumption that you knew that that's how things could work. Cause I remember talking to Evan about it and he explained that to me and I was like, wow, I never ever thought to do like at custom event on a component before. I just thought you would be using dollar broadcast and dollar whatever, which is like the whole view one thing. And he was like, Oh, I don't really use those. And I was like, what well, you should make this more obvious in the documentation that this is like the oh, recommended approach. Because I do remember yeah, you might be right. I do remember when he was, he did some YouTube video right when View 2 was about to come out just to kind of go over some of the new stuff. And he did talk about that funky thing where you you dispatch all the way up to the parent root and then you dispatch down to any of the children who are listening. And he was saying that was weird. So I don't, I don't know either way. But yeah, even if you could attach custom event listeners to components, we didn't know because yeah, we, were doing exactly. the, we were doing the crazy <laughs> thing with View 1, which looking back was so dumb. Um, and then, of course, the, the third option is to use like a, a more general event dispatcher. So one cool thing is like if you view if you new up a view instance, like a, a blank view instance, you automatically have an event dispatcher there. So what you could do is new that up and then assign it to even like a, a global variable. And then there you have a single point to to fire and listen for any of your events. Yeah. But yeah, it's like event events are tricky because it does it does work, but then. I don't know. Like it just ends up being really hard to debug. Like yeah. sometimes when you're trying to figure out like, okay, this is listening for an event, but I have no idea where in the app is actually firing that event. And you keep having to jump through trying to debug it. So yeah, it gets, it gets pretty tricky. The other thing I find tricky with the global event stuff is um, I'm always paralyzed by like naming them I know. because I'm, I'm always worried like, Oh, how do I make sure that like, I have these two components on two totally different parts of the page, but they need to like communicate. And I kind of don't want anyone else to know that they have this channel of communication because I don't want to accidentally stomp on some other events with similar names or, and of course, like the chance of a name collision is like really low, but just like that possibility of it makes me like yeah, sort of uncomfortable happen. and I'm trying to figure out what do I do to make it like 
really impossible for, you know, things to kind of cross wires uh, or whatever. Yeah, that can be tricky where it's like you're firing an event, but really you're just trying to create like a a direct relationship between these two components. Yeah. Now, I think you figured that out, though. Didn't you find some package? Um, so like a I found a package for something or? similar that's sort of it's related to the idea of like disconnected components. Uh, but for the communication thing, uh, what I've been doing lately is if I have like if I have two disconnected elements, I want to communicate between them. And it's not like they're just raising an event that like someone can listen for. Right. Like I'm really thinking about it as like specifically I need to inform this other component. It feels different than an event. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, what I tend to do now is create a parent component where um those two disconnected components are both children of it. So basically just find that level at the DOM where like, okay, they're both inside this div. I'll make this a component. Um, And then I'll seed that component with like whatever the data is that maybe they're both communicating about. And then if one component changes that data, it can emit that event to the parent. And because I'm maybe passing through that same data to both um, disconnected components, it'll just automatically update, which, which has worked, but you run into situations sometimes where trying to find that sort of like shared container means you have to make the whole page of view component now or something, you know what I mean? And that's exactly what I've done when I talk about like creating a, a, a component specifically for the view, V I E W that version, where it's kind of that same thing where it's like, I want these to communicate. So I'll just have, like you said, a single, a single point at the top and it's not ideal, but uh, sometimes it's kind of the easiest way to deal with that stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I, I do agree, like firing a general event feels weird when it's only relevant to this other guy over here, this other component. So it just gets yeah. it's pretty tricky. That seems to work. I, I've tried to do the, um, the view documentation gives like an example of how to do like sh- simple shared state with just creating like a kind of a singleton JavaScript object that you bind to your data in both um, view instances or both components and then updating one will update the other and i guess right. vuex is meant to be like a much more sophisticated evolution of of that kind of general approach um, but that still has never felt um, that great because i've never been able to come up with like a good pattern for seeding that initial state from the server that felt clean you know mm-hmm. like there's some global object that has to be on like the window or something and I have to seed that in a template somewhere and right you know it, it just gets kind of gnarly so trying to do just like the custom events and creating shared parents has has been my preference for that so far but i still do run into situations where i feel like it's forcing me to make too much of the markup a component more than i really want it to be you know yeah um but it works okay yeah. So so how religious do you get with components? Like the, the React way is to think of, you know, you've probably seen those diagrams where it like splits a, a page up into all of these different boxes and you'll have one box for this wrapper component for, for all of the posts and then another component for a single post and then another component for the comment and then it just keeps going down. Do you follow that approach or do you just create a component when you absolutely need it? I think I create a component when... Um when I think I'm going to like the code better after I create that component. You know what I mean? That's yeah. really it. Like sometimes I will have like something that's a list view, say, and I won't make the individual list items their own component. You end up with a bunch yeah, of like exactly methods that, that are prefixed or take arguments or something. I think actually one like uh, smell, I guess, or something that pushes me to create child components a lot is when I run into a situation where I can't use a computed property because I actually need to pass a parameter you know? So then mm-hmm. you end up using a method, like a method and methods aren't really supposed to be used for retrieving data in view. They're supposed to be for actions. So if mm-hmm. I create a child component that I can seed with that data, then all of a sudden I can use a computed property because like that context exists now. So that's like a signal that I use sometimes that uh, I should extract like another um, component for whatever I'm iterating over or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a good metric because like you can call the method and it's going to work. Yeah. But it's not, yeah. It's that not like sense. idiomatic. I don't know. Evan wouldn't do it. That's kind of like one of my <laughs> my guiding principles. <laughs> um, so I haven't talked to Evan about some of this stuff in a while, but for a while when I was getting into Vue, and, and it was smaller still because kind of its initial real boost in popularity had come from the Laravel community, community adopting it. 
Um, right. You know, it was easy to kind of strike up a conversation with him online and get his feedback on something like that. Like, would you do it this way? And I just tried to like make a mental note of when he said, no, I would not do it that way. And I'm like, okay, if Evan wouldn't do it, then I should probably find a, <laughs> another way that. to do it. Yeah. Well, it's always hard too, because like he comes from more of an SPA mindset. Yeah. So I, I know when like, we all talked about this, when View 2 came out, he removed specific things where it's like, well, if you're doing what we're doing right here, where you have like half server side, half client side, it ends up being a lot more complicated because he mm-hmm. removed that. So that's where a bunch of things like the inline template got removed or got removed and then was returned. Yeah. Even though having said that, I don't I don't find myself reaching for that quite as much anymore. No, me neither. I, I kind of just embrace the, you know, mount the component after the HTML is rendered approach and come up with another way to to deal with it. Yeah. I, I do have a lot of components that only ever get used once where sometimes it feels like, would it be better to just make this an inline template component and get that benefit of not having to worry about that little flicker anymore? Uh, mm-hmm. But most of the time, just to keep the code organized and sort of follow a pretty standard convention, I'll still just make it a standard single file view component sort of thing. Yeah. Now, now, now one thing I always run into is I'll be, I, I always end up extracting the view component which I feel like I, I end up doubling the amount of work. So like sometimes I will go as far as like implementing it in Blade, getting it to work. But then inevitably you, you end up like needing some kind of interaction or behavior or some kind of Ajax. So it's like, all right, at that point, I need to extract a view component. And then I create the view file, I move it over. And then you have all of that Blade stuff that you then have to refactor to work with JavaScript. Yeah. And I hate that I have to go through those steps. <laughs> like maybe maybe that's just the right way to do it, but... I hate that I end up doing twice as many steps rather than creating the view component immediately. Yeah. Yeah. I think I've run into that too, where something starts simple and then all of a sudden it's like, you know what? It would be nice if this form submitted with Ajax. Honestly, that's like a driver a lot of the time. It's like, there's almost no interactivity, but it's like this page refresh feels kind of like wasted. I should just like have a little spinner and like have that save in place and be done. Cause maybe it's, Maybe the form isn't the only thing on the page or something. You know what I mean? Maybe it's like you're updating something off to the side and it seems silly to refresh the rest of the page when it wasn't affected by that. So um, that's something I've thought about a lot actually is like the threshold for moving things to JavaScript just feels like it's getting lower and lower for me. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know what I mean? I, I don't feel this like pull to try and force it to stay on the server. It's almost like, it's almost like every form I almost default to, to putting it into a view component now, yeah, um, except for maybe something too. like login or something um, where really there is going to be like a redirect to a totally different page. Uh, but other yeah. than that, I'm, I'm really putting a lot of stuff into view components by default if the user has to interact with it. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Do you ever deal with a situation where you need to seed a view component with some data through a prop but then you want the component to be able to mutate it. Oh yeah, yeah. So you have to figure out like what do I name? So like you accept the prop, and normally you would choose the most natural name. Mm-hmm. But then you need to mutate it in some way. But Vue doesn't allow you to do that, right? Yeah. So now you have to think of two different names. Yeah. This is one thing I, I didn't like quite a bit because it's like, man, this just doesn't feel the least bit elegant to me. That I'm I'm having to spend time figuring out what do I name this? Yeah. Um, so I, I I think we I don't know if you were there, but I think I talked to Evan about this, and I think he recommended the keyword initial. So yeah. like initial blah, whatever it happens yep. to be. Um, I saw you guys talking about it on Twitter, and there was the data keyword. Is that is that it? The data prefix. Yeah, that's what I've been doing. Just like a colon data dash prop name. Um, and the reason I like it is because it's shorter than initial, right? Which is always great because it's less stuff to type. Uh, right. But it's, it's already also, a convention too. It's a convention because like those are already HTML properties. So it doesn't feel weird right. there. And then also I literally am using it to seed the data property on my view component. So it's like this is I'm passing in what I want to use for the data's post. Um, right. You know, and the fact that it's four characters, you know, again, doesn't hurt. Uh, but that's what I've been doing. Yeah, and, and it's cleaner because the the I didn't realize that you could like when um, in your data method where you have to return the object for your data. Uh, for whatever reason, it never occurred to me that I could just make one of those data properties equal to the view component. 
So like I was doing this thing initially, and this is where I was frustrated, where it's like, okay, I got to pass the prop in, but I want to mutate that. I want to change it. So I can't do that. So I have to create a data property. So now I have to add something to data here. And then I have to listen for the, the created event on the view component so that I can assign my data property equal to the prop, which is like, oh my God, the, the amount of verbosity yeah, here. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, instead, like on your data method, um, I'm trying to think of a, what would be a good example for a prop? It doesn't have to, data post or whatever, oh, it's freaking post. But anyways, yeah, on, on your data method, you could just set post equal to this dot data post. Yeah. And that way you don't have to listen for the created event. And I don't know why it never occurred to me you could do that. I think it's not really clearly, uh, maybe it's documented, but it's not obvious like when you're working with it, like the order that some of that stuff happens in, you know, like the props right. have been processed before the data function gets called, you know, like that's not immediately right. obvious, but that is how it ends up working. So you can reference props in your data function. Uh, which, you know, makes that helpful for sure. Yeah. So that's, yeah, that's what so, I do too. I just like, I take in the prop and then in the data thing, I just say like, you know, this dot published equals this dot data published. Right. Um, yeah. And now exactly that can that. change or whatever, which is nice because I, I think it makes sense that you can't like mutate props if a prop is state that belongs to the parent, because I, it, it does seem more logical to listen for like an at change or whatever in the child and then update it on the parent, just like you do with like a, an input or whatever. Right. It ends up feeling yeah. like more like everything else works, but a lot of the time you're not actually like giving it data that someone else owns. And again, this is one of those things that I think only people doing the server side stuff really run into. It's like you're seeding it with initial data from the server. It's like a default value for it more than it is um, some, variable that the parent owns or whatever so yeah I, I remember talking to evan about it and he was like do you really do this very much and i was like yeah i end up doing quite a, doing it quite a bit <laughs> so yeah there ends up being these weird things where it's very exclusive to those who are building more of these server-side apps yeah and like he he it was almost foreign to him that we would even need to do that in the first place yeah i don't know Pretty it'd be interesting to build an spa sometime and and be able to see it from that other perspective and start to understand, Oh, okay. I see why people don't, don't run into yeah. this or whatever, but it, I, I got to imagine there's situations where you need to seed something with initial data. That's not really a prop, but you have to do it through a prop. Yeah. But I mean, I'm not, I'm not against making an SPA. Like I've even thought about if, if I rework Laracast next year, maybe, maybe that should be an SPA. And it's like, if nothing else, it's an amazing learning experience. Definitely. There are some things that feel weird. It's like you end up reproducing a lot of just native behavior that you get for free that you have to reproduce with JavaScript now. So like memory management or, or what happens when you hit the back button or yeah, what happens to the scroll position. That's the stuff that always makes it feel weird. Yeah. Exactly. And it's like, wait a minute, I had this for free by the browser, but now because I want to do it this way, I have to re-implement every single one of those things, yeah. which feels wrong. Um, but that being said... The flip side is we end up having conversations like this where we're trying to figure out like really basic stuff that ends up being kind of complicated. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it's like no matter which option you choose, you're going to end up writing a bunch of extra code. So yeah, it sucks. Yeah, it'd be cool to find a good, uh, a good project to try out an SPA on. Just wanted to take a quick break to thank one of this week's sponsors, and that is CodeShip. So CodeShip is a hosted continuous integration platform in the cloud that lets you ship your apps with confidence. CodeShip comes in two flavors. Uh, the first one is CodeShip Basic, which is a simple testing and deployment platform with pre-installed CI dependencies uh, that works right out of the box. The average setup time for a CodeShip Basic project is about three minutes, often less. Uh, the other flavor is CodeShip Pro. So CodeShip Pro is a fully customized continuous integration and delivery platform with native Docker support. It makes it easy to test and deploy your microservices and push to any registry. It's also perfect if you want to deploy with Kubernetes and comes with a convenient local CLI tool that allows you to run your builds locally, helps with encrypting your environment variables, and guarantees 100% parity between your development and production environments. Both CodeShip Basic and CodeShip Pro come with a free plan that grants 100 builds per month, unlimited projects and unlimited users and open source projects are always free on CodeShip. So you can visit CodeShip.com today or check out CodeShip.com slash features to find out which CodeShip product is the best fit for you. Thanks to CodeShip for sponsoring Full Stack Radio. Back to the show. I got one other topic to touch on before we wrap up. 
do you do a lot of stuff uh, where you take third-party libraries and wrap those up as view components, or do you just kind of use them directly as is, or do you kind of do a, a mix and match, or how do you decide when to hmm. do it and when not to do it? Hmm. Give me give me an example of one you would do. So one that I have is like Stripe Checkout, for example. Um, okay. Rather than just using Stripe Checkout directly in the page and adding a script tag at the bottom of the page that sets up Stripe Checkout, I'll usually create like a checkout view component and inside okay. of its callbacks, it sets up all the Stripe stuff. Or um, another one is say you're going to use like, I don't know if this is the one people use anymore, but like Select 2, you know, like that autocomplete mm-hmm. tag drop down thing. Um, you could just like stick that in and add a script tag to the bottom of the page and kind of initialize it your kind of jQuery way, or you can mm-hmm. wrap that up in a view component and do all that jQuery initialization in your created callback or mounted callback, probably because you need the DOM elements to be there. Right. Uh, but do you do any stuff like that? Absolutely. On- no, absolutely. And you know, it's funny with that stuff. I almost think of it the same way I think of like objects in PHP where it's like, okay, well, if I wrap this up in a, in a view component, any extra methods that I need to call or, or set up or behavior that can now exist directly on that component. Whereas otherwise, like your parent component may end up having all these methods that aren't really specific to it, but you have to put that logic somewhere. So yeah, that's a really good example. It's like just wrap it up in a view component and then all of that data or all of that logic can then move directly to, um, to, to the child component that you've created. And then once again, if you ever need to use that anywhere else, it will instantly work because all of that, that logic is contained in one place. So I do that all of the time. I think that's a really good practice. Yeah, for sure. I think, um, a lot of people don't realize, uh, how some of that stuff works. Like, you know, a lot of time you get like a jQuery plugin or something that usually you pass like, um, a selector to it. Like you might say like dot JS date picker, and then dot right. date picker to turn it into like whatever your jQuery UI date picker or whatever. Uh, but most of those APIs for that sort of thing can also take like a raw DOM element instead of the selector, right? Okay. So a lot of people in like their view components, maybe if they're trying this for the first time, might stick like a class in the view component that's like JS date picker. So they can then in their created callback or ready callback, or I guess it's mounted in view two, do like, yeah. you know, jQuery dot JS date picker to find the date picker that's on the screen and mount it. But really you can just do like this dot dollar L um, mm-hmm. To get like the root element of your um, view component and pass that directly into that jQuery function. And then you don't have to give things weird class names or hooks or anything. You just literally grab that raw DOM element. Yeah, that's cool. Oh, you know, another thing I learned not too long ago, somewhat related, is like, do you do, you do many things where you wrap a single form input within a component? Have yeah. you found yourself doing that very much? Well, one thing I learned... Like maybe I'm stupid. This just I never read it in the documentation. But if you have a, a view component that wraps a form input, well, when you reference that component, any uh, any attributes you pass to it, even like okay, one more time, if you pass native attributes to it, those will automatically be merged. So like the example I told you earlier of the the file input, so I wrapped that in something like image upload, a component named image upload. So now when I use that in the parent view. Well, I can use the, the name prop or attribute or the class prop, and I don't have to define those as props on mm-hmm. the image upload component because they will all be merged in yeah. automatically. And I had no that clue that that actually works with something. every single thing in Vue. So if you have like something, a component where the, the root level element is just a div okay. and you want to use that component in your markup, so say it's like a, uh, I don't know, a new post form or something, right? I can do like open bracket, new post form, class equals, and then add like a spacer class, utility class to add some margin below it or something. And that'll just get merged in. You can just treat it like the parent, like the top level DOM node oh in my the God. component. <sighs> I didn't yeah. know that either. <laughs> oh my Actually, God. David Hemphill showed me that. Only a couple I months no ago. I no idea. I thought it was exclusive. This, oh, now I'm pissed. I just <laughs> discovered this a few days ago. And I, even in, I think it's in a Laracast video where I probably made a fool of myself now. Where I'm like, oh my God, you can do this to file inputs. So, okay. So any top level, even if it's like a div on a component. Yeah. When you reference the name, it will be merged at that top level. Yeah. Oh my God. That's awesome. Very cool. <laughs> that's cool. I wish I'd known that a long time ago. Yeah, when I discovered that, it was it's so nice because there's so many situations where you want to add an extra class based on the context where you're using it or something, right? Yeah. And yeah. 
what I would have done in the past is, okay, well, now I have a class prop that comes in and I merge that manually and then someone right. showed and me. And I'm pretty sure I have that in some of my projects, actually. <laughs> yeah, so you can simplify things a lot that way. It's really yeah, cool. I like it. Very cool. Cool, man. Well, maybe that's a good place to start wrapping things up. We've been going for about an hour now, but uh, it was really fun chatting about this stuff. I think uh, people are going to uh, to get a lot of cool little tips and tricks on uh, how to do stuff with their server-rendered view apps. There's there's a lot of us doing it. I think the uh, silent majority of the Laravel community, at least. Yeah, and I would say anyone who is using Laravel with Vue or, like you said, Rails with Vue, anything that has a server-side traditional uh, backend, you're going to run into these exact things we've talked about. Like, guaranteed, you will run into these things we've we've discussed. So um, I hope it helps. Okay. Yeah. Is there any uh, any cool Laracast stuff going on that you want to plug or anything before we get going? Uh, uh, I, I want to say yes, but the answer is no. So um, just check out Laracast.com if, if you guys are interested. I do a lot of view stuff, so um, especially if you build the types of apps I do, uh, you might come across something you like. Cool. All right, Jeffrey. Well, it's been a pleasure having you on the show again. Thanks for coming by. Cool, man. Yeah, it was fun. If anybody's interested in show notes for this episode, they'll be at fullstackradio.com slash 70. Thanks to Rollbar and CodeShip for sponsoring the podcast this week. And if you can give us a five-star review on iTunes, that's always awesome. Thanks, everyone. See you next time. <laughs>